0: Well, good morning, I'm excited, I don't know about you guys, but to get into this conversation about parenting. How you guys doing, Olive Branch, good? Good. As we're jumping into this, we have some interesting uh, kind of steps forward as we're talking about the phases of parenting and looking at what it means to be parents. Now, some of you guys, obviously, your are grandparents. You, the phase of parenting is over, and yet you still have you know, your children that you're kind of connecting to. You still have children that you're influencing. Maybe it is your grandchildren, others of you. You're looking forward to being parents one day. Maybe you're praying and hoping in that direction. And so, that hopefully, this information is going to be a helpful as you begin to consider that journey. But all of us in some way or another, likely have a child that we're influencing. It may be a niece, it may be a nephew, it may be some friends or family's children that you're deeply involved with. And so, we want to enable you guys just to have an opportunity to gather information, maybe even share it with some of your friends, and uh, to continue in uh, just the conversation of parenting throughout this series. In the meantime, you know, I've I've been raising four kids with my wife Teresa, and uh, man, that's been quite an adventure. Yeah, I want four kids is big. Basically, it's one in more enough for people to ask me, you know how that happens, right? And then I'm like, uh-huh, yes, I do. Or I say, no, I forgot. I'm so busy with four kids. Can you please explain it to me? And then watch them sit there and go, "Uh." uh. by the way, by the end of this series, you will know how to explain this and so will your children. And so uh, we're going to dive into that conversation in our last week. But really for us, parenting has become a, uh, an adventure, especially in sports, Um, We chose soccer. Any others of you chose soccer for your kids? Throw your hands up real quick. I just want to know who, who's in it with me. All right, the rest of you are baseball people, right? And so, and, and, or football or whatever. But we've all kind of ended up picking out sports for our kids. We picked soccer, and we chose the less-stressed version of soccer, which is not ASO. ASO is the great corona high stress version of soccer, which is competitive. We, we decided we're going to just go for the easy, relaxed, down-in-the-canyon, homegrown, local Timiscal Valley soccer group. And so it's been a really good thing. And, but what was really cute it was my son, Andrew, he was our youngest, and he started off in soccer at that age of five. Now, I don't know about you, but when you see a bunch of um, five-year-olds and four-year-olds playing soccer, it's cute. Unfortunately, I don't know exactly if they're playing soccer, you know what I'm saying? As they're running around, it doesn't really, it has two goals and it has a ball in the middle, and after that, all the similarities end. They are literally running around in a big mob. That ball is moving about a half inch everywhere as every little kid is kicking, kicking. Somebody's falling over, crying. Another kid is screaming and jumping. In the meantime, there's always the one kid, the one soccer kid who knows what he's doing from the family, and he's the guy who gets the ball, breaks out of the pack, goes straight for that goal, kicks it, and everybody resets, you know? I'm talking about? you seen this? No, my kid was not that kid. My kid opened a counseling service on the side of, of the pack that's running around out there. At least I like to tell myself it was a counseling service, because he would he would literally stand there talking to, to other kids on his team, and be like, yeah, so what do you do in Minecraft? Because Minecraft's really fun, and I like Minecraft. Do you like Minecraft? My brothers were showing me this on, did you know you can do this on my, and literally the whole time until the coach would be like, Andrew, get in the game, and he'd be like, oh, okay, and he'd kind of trot over to the crowd, watch everybody kick the ball, maybe attempt to kick a couple things, find a kid from the other team, pull him over, and say, so what are you doing this week? It was like literally he would do everything but play the game. Eventually he got smarter and actually sat down and picked the grass and other things. But that uh, was kind of a, one of those fun experiences of soccer. Now, the reason I bring that up is as he's gotten older, he's learned his positions. He's gotten a little better at soccer. He kind of realizes what the point of soccer is and the goal of soccer. But when you don't understand the goal, when you don't know what the point is, it can turn into bedlam. It can turn into chaos And to be quite honest, you know, when I had my first child, and then as it's continued, a lot of my parenting has been like five-year-old soccer, a semi-controlled chaos with a vague sense of what we were up to. And my wife and I looked at each other going several times, what is happening? We don't know what to do. How do we deal with this? And you can oftentimes feel extremely lost in parenting. Isn't that true, parents? Grandparents? You can say amen on that one. Okay. So... I guess all of you have this good. So I'm going to sit down and you guys are going to preach to me. I'm going to take notes. Because really the bottom line is that in parenting, so often we can be confused. We can be lost because we don't start off with goals. Oftentimes we don't enter into parenting knowing what we're supposed to be doing or where we're going or what we're doing. So today, as we begin, we're going to talk about the goals and kind of the the timing that occurs in parenting. And I want to discuss those goals because in parenting, we need the right goal. In our parenting, we need to have the right goal for where we're headed, or to be quite honest, we will end up in the wrong location. You'll end up doing kind of those, those crazy things where you're introducing your kids to, to, to maybe movies that you didn't know were bad. Have you ever done that? If you are grown up in the 80s, um, you've probably done that because, man, you loved these movies and, like, and you watched them as a kid. I think it was my wife and I were like, oh, 16 Candles, that's an awesome movie. And we found out real quick, PG in the 80s is not PG in the modern sense. And we're sitting there showing our kids Goonies or whatever at young ages and going like, this has a lot more cussing than I remember it because you watched it on TV. And the reality for us is that that's just wrong goal. Like our goal was entertainment. We ended up realizing that's not a good idea. And so we realized we needed to correct something. And if you have the right goal, you're aimed in the right direction, then things start to kind of fit together. The beauty is that God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us a goal. He gives us a goal for life. He gives us a goal so that we can sit down and begin to move forward. And it's found in Mark chapter 12. So if you want to grab that, I would love for you in your own Bible, in your own app, or whatever you're using, to actually mark this. Because this is the centerpiece of how you and I should be parenting. In fact, how we should be living our lives. You'll know it when you see it. But it begins with Jesus speaking to a lawyer. And this lawyer is asking him, so Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers, you shall love the, he answers with this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so he gives the great commandment from the Old Testament and couples it with this, uh, the second commandment of loving your neighbor. And so really love God, love others. If you want to have a goal... For your parenting, a goal for your life, if you want to fuse some information in, you need to make sure that whatever your parenting goal is, it includes the love of God and the love of others. It's such a broad term, but I mean, you don't have to just like write down love of God, love of others. Uh, that's what we're going for. But maybe it looks like, hey, I want my kids to, to know who they are and to, to live out who God made them to be in care of other people. You know, It helps you couple these things in different ways. And as you begin to ponder that and work through that, we are encouraging you that before you come back for the rest of the series that you've had a good sit down with either uh, your spouse, if you're a single parent, then sit down and, and think through this if you, um, on your own and kind of write it out with some aid and conversation with a grand, if you're a grandparent, sitting down maybe with your, your kids and having a conversation of where, where should we go? how should we parent? What's the goal? What is your guys's goal? And getting into this conversation because many parents are parenting without any goal. There's running around and trying to make it up as they go. And so what we've given you is this card. You can take it home and it's there so that you can actually write down what that parenting goal is as you begin to discuss it. You might write one down yourself, bring them together and have that conversation. But the goal needs to be clear and that goal needs to be set in your face. And so you can take this card and use it. But the opportunity we're offering you is this chance to sit down and ask, how does the great commandment of life of loving God and loving others, help bring into a conversation how we parent and lead our children. Now, a goal is great, and I want to encourage you to make that, but without a plan, a goal is just an idea. It's a wish. And so we need to include a plan. We need to get locked into a step towards that goal so that we know we're moving in the right direction. And to be honest, that plan goal that idea of a plan is best understood with one simple truth and it happens for me when i when we look at these kind of things this is my family about oh man, years and years ago, my Andrew is my youngest he 's being held by my wife, which means he 's pretty light in this picture he 's probably a little over one, maybe he 's two um, John the other the other two Nate who 's down by my hand and adeline they 're both taller now than my wife um, they're both teenagers. life has dramatically moved by to the point that my wife looked at me the other day while we were looking through the pictures because you can do this in our age of your children literally growing before you and you, and it hurts and like makes your heart Ache. And she goes, man, time's a thief. It just steals it away. Another person told us once, the weeks, they are so slow, but the years are so fast. Isn't that true? And here's the thing. We've met so many friends and so many parents over the years who don't seem to realize that these little kids are going to be adults. That it takes looking at the pictures to wake up and remember, oh, Whoa, these these aren't going to be little babies for very long. They're going to be making their own decisions. They're going to have their own children. God bless them. And it's going to be an amazing situation. They're becoming adults. And that's critical. We have to realize that this is part of that timing, that they're not little forever, that they're not always going to be the same, even through their childhood, that they are launching into adulthood. And we need to keep that into the zone and this focus of our timing. See a plan when it comes to parenting involves timing, and thankfully the Bible has a lot to say about time and a lot to say about timing. And in fact, two of the terms used in the Bible for time in the in the Greek are important. One of them is called the chronos time, and the other is called kairos. Chronos, if you've heard of it, is this idea of time, clock time. It's what's going on on your wristwatch. It's the day, 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 week, 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 second. That's chronos time. And when we think about chronos time, we think about it as this kind of constant movement that we should be aware of. And in our parenting plan, we need to be aware of the weeks and we need to be aware of the days. In fact, Moses in the Psalms puts it this way. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. He was examining the quickness at which we die, and he was saying, God, I want to know how long I'm going to be around so I can have wisdom, so I can lay out a good plan, so I can have an understanding. If you can begin to count the amount of time that you have, you can begin to be aware of what you've got. You can begin to be aware of the importance and the season and the time period that you're in. and so." What I want to encourage you guys to do is to think of the chronos time. And what we've been doing is encouraging parents in this last week in some of the classes, the phases, is to go get a jar and fill it up with marbles. Not just any amount of marbles, but 936 marbles is, is roughly every week you have from when your baby is born to when they graduate and leave at 18. That's an average, but it is 52 weeks times 18 years, 936 weeks. Nine, not even a thousand weeks with your kid to get them ready, to train them up, launch them into this world, and prepare them for all the technology and all the conversations on sex and all of the craziness that's going to happen in our society and and health and all those things. 936 weeks. Ready? Go. And when when somebody says go and you have that baby, guarantee you're not thinking about 936 weeks. You're thinking, I am so tired. This baby wants to eat in the middle of the night. You know, where's the return slip? This is ridiculous. You know, that kind of thinking. Because you're exhausted and you're worn out. But we need to be, when we get to our sober mindset, to remember that we have a goal. We need, to, we need to train these kids to love God and love others. We need to do that because they're becoming adults. We only have so much time, 936 weeks to go. What do you do in those 936 weeks? What do you do in a week? Well, it's beautiful because God has given us a rhythm. In fact, in one of the books... Uh, that we know as the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is standing on a mountain and he's preaching his final sermon to the Israelites. And the entire set of sermons is about why, who they are and why they need to pass on this knowledge of their faith onto the next generation. And it's this massive sermon about uh, dedicating the ne- to the next generation all this truth. And one of the things that he says is, is he gives this great commandment that Jesus quoted earlier. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Okay, how do I do that, Moses? Give me a hand. He says, okay, here you go. You'll talk of them when you sit in your house. When do you sit in your house? I mean, you sit in your house usually when you're either eating a meal, or maybe you're having some entertainment time, you're, you're watching something on, on the television, or you're watching something on, on YouTube or on the computer, but you're sitting around. Second is when you walk by the way, you're moving, you're having travel time, you're in a car and you're talking, or you're out exercising with your kids, they're running with you, or lifting weights with you, or doing whatever you do, they're, they're going with you in this kind of process. Or maybe it's when you uh, lie down, that's at night, when you're going to bed in the morning when you get up when you rise and what Moses does he says there's a rhythm if we put it in order it's morning meals movement night morning meals movement night every single day there are these opportunities given to you in the rhythm of the day to engage your children to teach them about loving God and loving others and you have all these rhythms throughout 936 weeks Now, that helps because you don't have to do it all in one week. You don't have to do it all in one day. But all of this training of our children happens in a drop-by-drop, marble-by-marble, rhythm-by-rhythm reality around us. That when you get up in the morning, you can begin to have a conversation with your kids about what's the day going to bring and, you know, how do you spend time with God and why is that important? You can begin to have a conversation at the meal about all the different things that are happening at school because a lot of us, we need to have those meals where we sit down and have those opportunities. And maybe it's what happened during your day? You know, what, hey, what did we see on television? Do you really think drinking that much soda is a good idea? Do you really think you're going to have a body like those kids? You know, that kind of conversation. You can have these brilliant opportunities for insight and communication at a mealtime or when you're in movement and you're traveling and suddenly you see something like, I remember there's a pastor who's actually a pastor in Las Vegas. And he talks about one of those moments when they're riding down, when they're driving through the Vegas area and they've got their kids in the car. And one of the little kids leans over to his brother and says, Hey, which naked lady do you like better? And the mom goes, we do not have any favorite naked ladies. And they had to have this conversation because they're right behind the taxi, you know, that was having that stuff on it. And so this is that world that they were in. They're like, it's an odd thing to raise your kids in Vegas. But the point was that they had this time now and they had to capture it. It was conversation time. And there is stuff on the freeways and there's stuff around you. You need to be having conversations as you move and as you travel. And there's these opportunities before you go to bed where you just get to connect and invest with your kids. And I'll tell you what, it's beautiful. I didn't At first, when we were younger, it was, you know, pray for the kids and pray over the kids and give them a hug and squeeze them, talk to them real quick, tuck them in and walk away and go have parent time. You know, turn on the television, read a book, enjoy each other as parents, you know, that thing. Now we put the kids in bed, we tuck the two little ones in, we go, we give a hug and a kiss to our teenagers and we go into our room and we sit down, I can guarantee within five minutes. There's a knock on my door and one of my teenagers is like, can we talk for the next six hours? <laughs> Feels that way. But the bedtime is a powerful time to get into the heart and to get into the connection. And these rhythms are afforded every day. You can't, you won't hit them every day, but you have week after week, 936 weeks, this rhythm every day given to us by God to begin to invest in your children, to make a difference in your grandchildren's lives, to pour into those kids who are around you that God has given you an opportunity to connect with. And so you have these great conversations. So what do we talk about? Because it's different when you talk to your preschooler than you talk to your high schooler. And so what we want to be aware of then is we need to be aware of the Phase. What phase are we in? This gets into the second word, this word kairos. A kairos was, a, was an opportunity. It was a season. It was a, a moment, a phase, if you will, that God has given us. In fact, Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church, talks about the opportunity we all have as Christians in this time. He says, listen, let's be careful to look at how you walk, how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise. Live wisely, live intelligently, live according to the Lord, making the best use of the chiron." The kairos, the time, the moment, the opportunity where you have now with Christ. Because the days are evil. What we have is this moment to seize now. And these are these opportunities. And there are four opportunities that many uh, psychologists and child uh, child development people and pastors and all these people pulled it together. They've simplified them down to these four developmental phases that we're going to look at. And I want you to be aware of these phases because they enable you to use that rhythm and those weeks appropriately as your children grow, as your grandchildren grow, and helps you know kind of, how do I engage now that they're here? Now, phase one, is pretty straightforward. It's birth to preschool. Man, this is, a, this is an interesting time period. You have 936 weeks when they're born, and you're off and running, and you're going to go all the way up until they hit preschool and they jump just before kindergarten. And look... During this time period, there's a lot of fear and a lot of worry, especially if it's your first kid. If it's your fourth kid, there's no worry and no fear at all. It's just all gone. It's like, that kid will survive. He's made of rubber. And so... When there's you're, you're so many worries and so many fears and so much to do, you're exhausted all the time. You're wondering how you're going to keep going. And I just, I feel for you. If you have a kid in that phase, in that pre, birth to preschool, throw your hand up real quick and look around. You're not alone. That's why you guys just, hey, feel, take a deep breath. You have others with you. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> some are brand new in this. Uh, so we are, uh, we are working through this. So what do you do in this phase? With all of the, all of this uh, exhaustion stuff what do you do the the word you should write down is the word embrace you can embrace your child's physical needs that's your job in this phase they have so many needs i mean they need to be fed and they need to sleep and they need to be changed. Yeah, and then they, then they need boundaries and then they need to be helped and to, to learn how to walk. And then, and then you realize why they do that. Cause now they need new, you know, there's all of this stuff going on as your children have these needs and you need to help them with their needs. When you do that though, as you're running through this mess, realize you're imaging the father for them. Just take a minute and realize you're imaging God, the father. In fact, when it came to our needs, Jesus talks about this. He says, listen, you guys are going to worry about what to eat and what to drink. You see, there are these birds out there. God feeds them. There are these plants on the ground that, that he puts in clothes with flowers. And so he says, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after such things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's going to provide for your needs. He's going to supply you for what you need. And, And so in the same way as you provide for your children, you image the father who is so much prepared to help us. Now, this can be extremely difficult. In some cases, some of you are raising children who have, who have uh, health issues. Like my daughter, she had health issues as a baby. And we didn't know it at first. We didn't know what was going on. And we would carry her, and she would cry, and she would scream. And we finally get her to sleep by bouncing or doing whatever we could. And literally, would lay her in, her in her little bassinet. And the second your skin stopped touching her skin, it was... <laughs> right now, some of you just got hives, right? It's like... It's happening. Um, but it was, it was, she was just so much in pain. We didn't know it. I mean, I went and ran to the store and bought a swing. The Swing didn't work. She's like, ah, ah. it was like swinging back and forth. Nope, that didn't work Buy a sling. We're putting her in the sling. And she's kind of calmed down until Tressa realizes I'm frying with the baby in the sling. Okay, that can't be done. It was just all this bedlam, all the time, trying to just figure out how to, how to get it calm. It was so hard. My wife ended up with pneumonia in the middle of it. And so it just was just this horrible scenario of exhaustion and confusion. It goes away eventually. It helps. My daughter, we wound up getting her the right kind of formula. And she was able to eat. And, and, and she was a pleasant child from that point on. And still is today. And so we have this uh, great opportunity to care for her. But it was hard. And I want you guys to know it can be hard. And as your little preschooler starts growing up, you want to do one of two things. You want to begin to let them realize who God is and know God's love and meet God's family. You want them to know God's love, that God loves them. I just lean into my kids and say, you know how much I love you? And they say so much. I say, yeah, will I ever stop loving you? They say, no. And I say, never, never. I want them to know nothing would stop my love to them because nothing will stop God's love to them if I could just introduce them to God's love, I just could help them see God's love. And then we would bring them to church. I mean, there were times where we'd come out of service and my wife and I go like, where's Adeline? She'd been carried off by some youth kid somewhere to be shown off or whatever. Because we we just wanted our children near the people of God. And it's so important to have that time period and that structure and that experience that that a nursery and even a preschool can give to your children each week. You're showing them the importance of who God is as you're teaching them to love God and love others. Now, it's also awesome because it needs imagination and you need all your sensory apparatus for children to see things. They're like little artists. If they can't eat it, it isn't worth it kind of attitude. And so if you're doing something with the kids, they got to be able to touch it and taste it and play with it. And that's exactly what preschool helps you do. You don't have to invent it all. They give you all kinds of opportunities and abilities. And as you work through that process, you too can begin to train your children in so many imaginative ways to know God. I mean, you can even buy those favorite nursery songs. The Lord told Noah to build him and Archie anybody else there with me." I had that CD I had that not a CD, it was actually a tape cassette stuck in my tape deck in my car for years. And so it would never turn on. It's like, finally, it's broke the thing. But anyway, so it was just one of those, we, we did this kind of stuff for our kids. And phase two, though, is a different phase. You've now moved out of the preschool. They need they need you, they need you. Now they're starting to be a little bit more independent. Now they're starting to explore life a little bit more. And you've entered phase two elementary school. This kindergarten up to fifth grade. How many of you guys have a kindergartner up to fifth grade? You're in here right now. You're looking around and it is a, it is a wonderful tumble roar of, of all kinds of crazy. And it's exciting because this is the energy time. This is a time they are building interest. This is a time when they show up with a snail and go, check this thing out, and they stick it on their head. <laughs> this is the time where new exploration and, and new ways of doing things are showing up. And what your job is is to engage your children's interests don't look away from them It's like, that's a dumb thing to do. No, you get engaged. You, you get curious with them. You step into their little scientific mind or their little artistic ability or their little creative things that they do. This is super important as you engage. You want to you be like Jesus. See, Jesus, as we celebrate at Christmas, he stepped into our world. He stepped down to us. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. In other words, God himself became a human and we got to see what he was like because he was with us. Your children, see what you're like as you engage and lean in with them. In fact, it goes on to say that the glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And I think those are two things we need as parents in this phase. Oh man, we need grace and we need truth. My mom would grace me. In fact, the word grace means for the king to kneel down in front of you. My mom would get down on her knee and she'd look at us and talk to us. I don't know what it was about that posture, but it was powerful and it was magnetic because as children, we were just like, mom's looking directly in my eyes. To get down in that space, to be down in your children's world is huge, but it needs so much grace, doesn't it? I mean, how many more times read that, little, that, that book again because they love it? How many more times? Uh, you don't care about medieval fantasy and they love it. You're like, Hobbit, what is this? And they're like, and the hobbits were running around and they were jumping on things and it was so cool. And then, I mean, how many more hours of Minecraft can you really, really put into your life? I mean, I failed in this way of grace many times. In fact, the biggest one that I still regret today is my daughter came running up to me at a very young age. She'd just gotten some nail polish. She's like, daddy, daddy, let me paint your nails. Now my daughter knows I can't stand nail polish. I had two sisters, an older and a younger sister. I had six female cousins. It was all girls all the time. And so I hate the smell of nail polish. It drives me crazy. And so she comes up, let me paint your nails. I said, no, that's for boys. And I walked away, or that's for girls. And I walked away and that was it. And I was kind of shut down that way too many times. And I could tell I broke her a little harder. Her mom was awesome and helped her out. And I think God looked at it and said, Oh no, you didn't. From that point on, all you get are boys. And that was what I got. All boys. And I couldn't hurt anymore uh, girls, but it was not, that was hard for me. I needed to have grace. I should have stepped in with graciousness, even as much as it turns my stomach to think about it. I needed to be involved in that level. And now she's in this room. She's going to come home and say, hey, dad. And she's going to like hold it up to me. I know her. So, uh, and my wife struggled with the video games. I mean, it's not fun for her to sit there with a controller and try to figure something out while her boys are laughing at her as they're destroying her left, right, and center. And she's like, yes, this is so much fun, you know, But in that is also truth. As you engage in this, you're able to train your children. As you engage with them, like, for example, when we would wrestle on the ground, it was always rules, rules, rules. Nope, you don't bite. No, you don't kick. That's not okay. Time out. They got hurt. Go see how they're doing. Apologize first. Rules, 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 because you're helping shape the way they care about others. You're helping introduce them to the way that God would think about things. So you're playing a video game. You sit down at the meal and you say, guys, let's talk about that video game. I saw you playing in the other room. Do you really think it's a good idea to be shooting every villager that comes into the room? You think that's the way that we really should treat people? How is this the same as life? How is it different? And we would get in those conversations talking about the image of God when you're driving around and they're telling you their stories and you're asking, so why don't you do something with that? What do you want to do with that? And you're building into their interests as you're paying attention. And you know, This helps us to lead our children to that conversation of of trusting God's character and and experiencing God's people. That's really where we're going. We want them to engage in their interests, to trust God's character. He's good, he's loving, these kind of things. And you're going to tell them stories about that. You're going to connect it to life. And I advise you then to check out things like Adventures in Odyssey. If you have trouble connecting that, Adventures in Odyssey is great. It's got lots of stories that teach the Christian thoughts and Christian ways of living in a real town setting. Or you can, or you can do what's out right now is Lamplighter or Theater, another one that uses old, awesome old books from the 1800s that they put into radio plays. My kids loved them and still listen to them today. And it's just opportunities like that. Obviously, there's lots of apps out there. Our children's ministry rocks for helping kids continue to grow and develop and think through how Christianity works in their lives. And that's the goal. You're trying to invest and help them see how God works in stories and illustrations and and having fun with them as you engage in their interests. And so in that rhythm of morning and meals and movement and night, you're, you're, you're talking about what they're interested in and how it fits with God's love and the love of others. And then you're going to move on. That, that whole process is going to go by. And now you're going to step into phase three, which is now middle school. Um, middle school, right there, you just got the shivers. Um, so, because middle school is that scary time. And I think it's scary because all of us remember what we were like in middle school. And some of us are like, yeah, I can remember that, my poor parents. You, in middle school, you only have 351 weeks left to make an impact. How many guys have middle schoolers? Throw up your hands right now. People in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And uh, it's an adventure. Every day is totally different. And in this time period, what you're trying to do is you need to do one thing. You need to affirm your child's personal journey. Now, those words cause some Christians to go, "Uh, what? I'm not going to affirm that. Do you know what my middle schooler did the other day? There's no way I'm affirming that. Don't hear that in the wrong way. Don't hear it as like your kid wants to go, you know, smoke pot and you're like, I affirm you. You know, that's not what I'm saying, okay? It's not what we're doing here. What I want you to hear is that the middle schooler is the one kid, is the one phase where they do nothing right. They are ready to beat themselves up every moment of the day. Whether it's over their social issues, they don't feel like they're good with socially, or they don't feel like they're, they're, they're good intellectually, they're dumb, or they don't feel beautiful, or they don't feel valuable, or they don't feel skilled, or they don't feel this way. In fact, it's the one age that when they, when they are even cool, they get so insecure that they're cool, they have to push other kids down to stay cool. Because every middle schooler's insecure. Every middle schooler, if you remember it, feels through all those hormones and everything going on in their body like something's wrong and everybody knows it because everybody's looking at me and nobody's looking at them but they're looking at themselves and what they need to hear is they need to be affirmed by you as the parent. They need about five other people in their life. You know, so you got two parents and you got maybe a, a teacher, maybe you've got a mentor, maybe you got a youth pastor. You need at least five different adults pouring into your middle schooler. Because it's such a difficult time. And when you affirm, you actually act like God, who actually affirms you and me. It says that his spirit in Romans chapter eight, after it's just gone through seven, where it says we just mess up and we sin like crazy. But praise God, we got this spirit that comes through God. What does the spirit do? It trains and changes us. He sanctifies us. And one of the things he does, even in your sin, is he's telling you, he's witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God. Yeah, you screwed up, but you're still my kid. Sure, there's discipline, but I still love you. Yeah, you know what? I do think you're smart, and I love that about you. God's affirming us. He's challenging us just as we challenge our middle schoolers. When in the morning, we challenge them, we affirm them, we say, hey, look, I know it's going to be a tough day, but you, you can do this. Let's set a good plan out. Hey, yeah, I know what happened at school today was awful, but you know what? I still love you, and they're not going to be in your life all the time. You're affirming their love. You're you're affirming your love to them. You're affirming their personal journey because this is the point where it's all done. They are moving to influence, not control. You You can't control them anymore. You're influencing them. And when you influence them, now you're beginning to try to call them to their own journey. This is where they own their own faith. And this is where they own their own spiritual community. You can't make them have faith and you can't make them have a community. We have to help and guide and hope that, and pray that they are going to own their own faith. This is the time period where students, they want to get baptized because it's got to be theirs. They need to see it's not just mom and dad's faith. This is my faith. And they see it in their youth pastor and they see it in their friends and they see it in other people that you surround them with. And so you need these others so that they can show the faith is something they can have apart from themselves, or apart from their apparatus of their parents. It's at this time period, they'll, they'll kind of push back a little bit. They may even say things that scare you to death. Like, I'm so depressed, I wish I was dead. You're going that's scary language. But what you need to know and you need to be prepared for is in middle school, there is going to be a crisis, period. Sometimes multiple throughout the years. There will be a crisis of faith a crisis in their self-identity. There'll be a crisis in their body image. There'll be a crisis in their intelligence and all these areas, there will be a crisis and how you handle it as a parent is the most important aspect in this time period. And you handle it by affirming the positive and the good and that this is their journey and God still got them and and you still love them. And yeah, this is gonna be rough, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going through it with you. And this is that affirmation, it's not your journey, it's theirs, but you are not that far away. Did you know, uh, all, the, all the world wanted to say that middle schoolers don't care what their parents look like. You, if you ask a middle schooler who they want to hear from the most, they all, in the quietness of their own secret ballots, will say, my parents. Because their parents are still the number one influence, the one they care to hear from the most. And so our goal is to help them own that faith and to have a faith community and to lean into this. And really your best gift that you can have in the midst of a crisis is this. This was something I just heard recently and it's awesome. You need to have a good poker face. What do I mean by that? Man, they want to hear they want to know you're listening. And sometimes inside you're embroiled with the craziness of like fear and anxiety as they're telling you they don't know if they're Christians or they don't even know if they, they believe this stuff and, and they're wondering, you know, what happens if I do this thing over here? And you know, is it okay if my if I go if, if my friends are, are smoking pot and looking at porn on their screens? You know, whatever. It's coming. It's middle school, and that's scary. And you need to listen and ask questions and direct and guide and pray like crazy. Some of the best things you can do is continue to be consistent. Get them around the youth ministry. Keep them around other young Christians. Help them continue to develop in how to reach into the world and influence it versus being influenced. All this is part of the, the joy of, of employing the youth pastor and the youth leader and others around and helping them give strength. You know, One of the things I invite a lot of middle schooler parents to do is introduce your kids to the Bible Project on YouTube. It's powerful and it's interesting. It gives a whole kind of pattern for the Bible and puts all the dots together for them. It enables them to see it in a visual way. This is the time period you start buying student study Bibles or like a quest study Bible that asks questions. There's all kinds of good literature in the Bible area like that. And you begin to help them grow because they're about to move out of this phase where it settles a little bit and you enter into the high school phase. And this high school phase is a little different. Things are changed. In middle school, your conversations may be pretty short where you're like, how's your day? Good. What'd you do today? Nothing. All right, good talk. You know, that may be about the extent of some conversations. High school, things change. They start thinking like philosophers. In the high school phase, they start expanding their minds, thinking new thoughts, maybe even thoughts that are contrary to your thoughts. But you only have 195 weeks left to do something very critical. How many of you guys have a high schooler my high schooler is about to start next year. Um, so look around. you got high schoolers. You are in a phase in which now your job is, one word, is to mobilize. You know, mobilize your child's potential. It is time to get them ready to engage this world and to make a difference now. They are capable and they are able. In fact, Jesus, you know what he used to call his disciples? Oh, you little faith. How many times did he say that about his own disciples? Yet after his resurrection, he looks at those same disciples of little faith who didn't even trust in his resurrection, and he tells them, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I'm, look, I'm with you always to the end of the age. God himself mobilized his church, even in our little immaturity. He said, get moving. I see what I've given you. I've poured into you. You've poured into them. You've given them their needs. You've listened and helped them have a journey. Now it's time to use all that God made in your children and launch it. Man, they have so many opportunities, so much potential. We want to mobilize that personality. We want to mobilize that information. We want to mobilize it into an authentic faith. Sure, it's their faith, but now is it real? Are they engaging with God? Are they reading the word of God? Are they praying and talking to God? Are they learning how to answer their, those questions? So this is great at meal time or in travel time. When you're having conversation in the morning, it's not when your kids go, so what do you know, how does this work? And like my kids were asking me last night, like, is it six days of creation exactly? Because then how does a, how does a shark eat before the fall if nothing dies? Because sharks are carnivores. And how does a carnivore eat something other than meat since their system only needs meat? That's a fun conversation. You're like, only in the pastor's house. That's right, yeah. And so what I did is I gave them back the question. We talked about it a little bit, but they're going to have to explore and learn. Because in the high school age, I don't answer questions. I invite you to explore. I invite you to discover. We get into the conversation. We have this together and we begin to move because I want this to be your question and authentically help you work through to the answer because then you own it. When you're in the high school level, this is where your kid comes up to you and says, I want to go on a mission trip. You don't go, oh, no, 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 you might die and you get, no, that's this section over here. You're launching them. And as scary as it is, letting them go in a safer environment to go explore, the world enables them to begin to make more adult decisions in safer environments. Why would we wait until they go to college to make decisions? When they're in your home, so they can make decisions and fail in small decisions, so when they're in college, they kind of get an idea of what wisdom is and how to make good decisions. This is the time to help them learn to make wise decisions. This is the time to help them explore things, to get into ministry. And no, video game playing isn't a ministry, sorry. But you want to help them get out of that and into, hey, how do I love others and love God? What has he gifted me for? What can I engage at church over? I can be a member at 16. At the Branch, you can be a member at 16. Have voting rights and engage in the service and the ministry of the church. Greeting people, passing out stuff, putting stuff up, doing the sound, you name it. And so we encourage you to be launching your student and getting them around the youth group where they're around other like-minded students who are ready to launch out, who are doing mission, who are doing evangelism, who are connecting and growing in these experiences. And so this is that phase. You're going to talk about more adult aspects and more adult things. You're going to challenge them to go out into a world and make a difference with all that God made them to be. Now I know this is a lot of information and I like, and we've we, we've we've got tons more we're going to cover we're going to cover four different conversations over the next week, and uh, we're going to put them in this context of the phases and this rhythm and so i I'll, I'll leave it up to to those, but some of you today you're you're wrestling over something other than just what phase you're in because for you, those phases are all done they're all past you may be grandparenting or you may be You may have yet to be a grandparent, but those phases are behind you. And so what do you do now? I want to encourage you. What you do is you continue. You continue to pray. You continue to point. You continue to call your children and and express what a spiritual life looks like in Christ. Some of them may not be walking, and that doesn't mean you're over. You continue to love them, and you continue to guide them and lead them forward. Some of You you realize, I was telling one man, he's got great-grandchildren. He's like, I'm watching... Two generations down and my influence is done. But he's trying to care and love his children and his grandchildren through as they follow through the phases he's now watched several times. But the bottom line is we come to this place where we pray and we hope and we continue to lay it before God, trusting that even the work that we've done, maybe without that clear goal, is still being used by God. What I want to do is give you a chance to pray over those phases. In fact, on the back side of that card on the seats, it has uh, three little slots. It says past phases, current phase, and phases to come. And if, you want, if you'll join me, just mark down which phases have already passed for your kids. And you just write those on that one. And which is the current phase you're dealing with with your kids or your grandkids? And then which phases are to come? Maybe you're hoping to have children and they're all in front of you. And this way I want to pray with you over these various places. So what we're going to do is give you a minute to mark those down right now and write them in those slots. When you're watching this at home, you can write them down on a piece of paper. We're going to pray over these phases so you can write those three categories in. So right now, as you get that done, maybe you've written down those phases of the past. I want you to put it in your left hand and I want you to extend it up to the Lord right now, right where you're at. And bow our heads together. Father, you see the phases that have passed for our children. God, they don't need us to feed them anymore in the way that they did when they were babies or to change or clean them or, or any of those things. God, they're, they're beyond those middle school. In fact, and for some of us, they've all passed. They're, they're adults. And God, we surrender those phases over to you that they've gone through. God, that you would use them, that there would be aspects and things that you were working in that time period so we don't have to regret Because, God, we know that you love our children even more than we love them. And we thank you that you are working even now with that which you laid into their lives in those time periods. We pray that it would go towards loving you and loving others. And that you would redeem those years. You know, right now, if you have some phases you're working in right now, I ask that you would just put them in your hand. And cup them like you're holding something that's present before God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would see the phases that we are in. All these parents who right now, they may be exhausted from meeting needs. They may just be wondering how much longer can they endure these little odd interests or excited about these interests. God, give us wisdom. Give us energy. God, give us rest where we need it. Give us focus so that we can care and bless our children every week and through these rhythms and in each phase that we're in, that they may know you, God, that they would love others, that they would see and understand how you love them. We pray that they would indeed draw near to you and be transformed by you. Finally, we come to the phases that are to come and put them in your right hand and hold them out. Lord God, we cannot be in the future. We don't know what these phases will bring for our children, our grandchildren, God, for our, for our children that we might have, God, for the children we may adopt. Or however you have that for us, we, don't, we are not there, but you are. We pray that you would now go before us preparing us for wisdom, preparing us for knowledge, preparing us for the day in which we will engage those questions, those crises, God, those needs, and those opportunities of those little interests, God, that you would go before us, you'd meet us in those times with wisdom from others, God, with an awareness and a readiness so that we would step into parenting, we would step into these phases with our eyes open and focused on you, that our children would love you and love others, and whatever else it is that you call us to as a family. And God, in all of these phases and all of these things, we pray that you, you, Lord, would be the one who is exalted. Thank you that we are your children and that you love us the way that you do. We surrender it in the name of Jesus and all of God's children said, amen.